John chapter 4 and beginning with verse 11, uh, we want to talk about for a few moments a couple of good things, I think. Uh, if you were in Sunday school class, uh, you probably said, oh my God, the man is just, just going on. But it was, uh, it was good for me, I guess, hopefully good for those that were there. But God is a, a great God. And uh, I don't know how uh, we could sit under the reading of our word, even in our own homes or in private, and not be excited about the things of God. Uh, anytime we have opportunity to open up the book and share, be it publicly or privately, we ought to be excited about God and who God is and what he has done for us. No matter what our circumstances might be at this present moment, how bad or how good or how in between, uh, God is good. Amen. Amen. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. They told me to use this because my other mic may not be working, so I am going to be one-handed. One-handed bandit. I talked about last week, that stopped with the verse that said, if you knew. They talked about the woman at the well. Jesus had to come there. Jesus was, was destined to be there. He had a divine appointment from God to be there because there was a woman that needed to hear the message that he had to say. She needed to know the Savior. And what better place than Jesus to be at a place where typically Jews were not even uh, supposed to be. And the fact that he was invited, uh, he had invited himself to be there and then even asked her to give him a drink of water. And as we found out with Nicodemus, so we find out with this woman at the well, her mind was on everything else but the spiritual aspects of what Jesus was saying. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus went into being born a second time and entered my mother's womb and all that. Missing the whole entire point of what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must be, you've got to be born again, born from above, renewed, transformed. Uh, your whole direction in life has been changed because of what Christ has done in and through us by means of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now we find this woman at the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water and uh, talks to her about the living water, and she still uh, deals with the fact that uh, in some aspects of not really understanding what he says, and that's why he ends in that verse 11 with, if you just knew who it was that is talking to you about Give me a drink. Uh, you would realize that really, what he's saying to her, you would realize that I am God himself. So after that, it says, uh, she says in verse 11, she says, now look. Basically what she tells him is, you're at this well, but you have nothing to draw water with. Missing the whole point of what Jesus was trying to get her to see. She said, do you not realize, and she talks about here throughout this whole uh, narrative here, from verse 11 down through some, uh, first, uh, the first few verses here, she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, drank from himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. So she's stuck on the fact that he's asking water. She looks and sees that he doesn't have anything to draw water with. And she says, by the way, how can I get, quote, this living water? Not understanding that the living water was standing right in front of her. But she's thinking that there's a well here. You don't have anything to dip with. And by the way, Jesus, just so you, just so you know, sir, by the way, this well was dug by Jacob. And not only Jacob, but Jacob drank from it, and, and his sons drank from it, and his livestock drank from it. So she's stuck on all the other things other than what Jesus is trying to communicate to her. And I thought that was interesting because I thought about us many times, how we are missing what the Lord is wanting to do and where the Lord is directing us because we're stuck in our traditions and the things that we've been taught in the past that necessarily weren't wasn't always right, but we know, don't know any different, and we're not willing to make ourselves available to the truth of the word. So that when something is presented that we think is totally new and strange and doesn't make any sense, it's not that it's totally new and strange and doesn't make any sense. It's that we've never been taught what the Bible actually says. And then when we come across a point that says, wait a minute, that can't be right. No, it's not that that can't be right. What it means is you and I may not be right and that we need to change our thinking. That's what it's all about, because a lot of us have been taught a lot of things or believe certain points, but it all comes back to what does the truth of the scripture says. That's the final authority, and when it comes, confronts what we believe or know, we change to the word and not, to, not hold on to our traditions and the way we were brought up when we were little bitty babies, amen? And so she's stuck on the, the water being from Jacob and all these other things, and Jesus says, by the way, just so you know, Everyone who drinks from this water, everyone who drinks this kind of water, you will be thirsty again. You can have your thirst quenched right now. I can drink this water right now and go, oh, man, that tastes good. Thank you, Jesus. But in a few days, hours, moments from now, I'll be thirsty again. What he's telling her is, if you get this water I'm talking about, this living water, you'll never be thirsty again. To which she says, oh, wait a minute, how can I get this water? Tell me. She, I, I like what she says there. She says, he says, uh, if you get this water, you will not thirsty again or have to come to draw water. In her mind, two points. Number one, she wouldn't be thirsty again. And number two, she wouldn't have to come to this well and do, draw water again. So this is a good deal for her. Number one, this is at noontime. It was hot. She came at noon because she understood her reputation didn't allow her to come in the cool of the evening when most other women would come to draw water. She tried to stay out of the fray of everybody yakking and talking about her. And she's coming at 12 o'clock noon, high noon when it's hot. She's there by herself, although on this occasion, Jesus is with her. So when Jesus says, you'll drink of this water and you will never thirst again, she says, there's a great, where can I get this water? Because if I get that water, I won't have to come back and draw it. And number two, you're telling me I will never be thirsty again. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I won't have to do any more work. It's a done deal. But you know what? She really didn't understand what Jesus will say again. Because in verse, the, the verse that he said, thirst again, he says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She wants the water, but she, as of yet, doesn't understand that Jesus is that water. 
I was sharing with the Sunday school class this morning that many of what we failed to realize is that the Christian life is the best life that we could ever live. But we have to be convinced of that for ourselves. Why are we here on planet Earth? Why were you born on whatever date it was? And why have you lived to your present age, to this present moment, while we're all standing and sitting here in the sanctuary of God? Why? Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and to serve him and to, and to give unto him the glory that's due his name. That's why you're here. You're not here because you have grandchildren. You're not here because you have children. You're not here because you need a job. You're not here to get money. You're not here for all the other reasons. We are born into this world because God allowed us to be born. And what he wants from every single living person on the planet Earth today is the chief end of man is to glorify God. And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing what God wants us to do. And we're to glorify God. Why would he send his son into the world? He brought Jesus into the world for God so what? Love the world. John 3, 16, we talked about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should have what? Everlasting life. Life of a different kind. Life that, 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 that's involved in he being the center and the seat of all that we say and do. It's the greatest life to live. When you don't have to worry about who you are because you know who you are is in the, is your, your title, your, your significance is in Christ, that's a great thing. Why do you think people are wandering around looking to drugs and sex and alcohol and money and all the other things? Because they don't know who they are. And they're trying to buy their way. They're trying to, to, to make money, enough money to make them happy. They're trying to do all the things. Get high. Get this. Do that. If I get, it's a temporary fix on a permanent situation that they cannot solve themselves. And he meets this woman at the well, telling her she needs to have living water. And she wants to run around all the other things. Well, by the way, this was Jacob's well. And this is a, it's the same thing we do today. You could present somebody the truth of the gospel, and they will bring up any and every other excuse on why they don't want to believe. They use the excuse about the church and say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Oh, by the way, so is the world. In fact, being honest with you right now as I'm talking to you, you're being hypocritical. And you say, well, Pastor, you shouldn't say that because that means they won't feel good. Well, I'm not really concerned about them feeling good. I'm concerned about the understanding that they're, the Satan is using the excuse of the church is full of hypocrites for the reason why they don't come. Or I don't come because so-and-so goes there. Or, I don't come because this and that. We have every reason we can come up to come up with them not to come other than, wait a minute, it's not about everybody else. It's about me and my relationship to God. You, know, you got it? The living water that's deposited in you by the word of God and by Christ himself should be the living water that allows you to say, wait a minute, I'm not coming because of A, B, C, or D. I'm coming because of God's grace, God's mercy, and knowing what God has done for me in my life. I don't need to be sidetracked by how big, how small, how clean, how dirty, what to wear, what not to wear. All those things that the devil wants to throw up to us for why we don't need to come to Christ. Don't you want to have water welling up in you so that you will, quote, never thirst again? You don't have to look to televisions and movies and, and, and 
videos. You don't have to look to music. You don't have to look to drugs. You don't have to look to sex or alcohol or put your faith and trust totally in some other human being who will eventually disappoint you and hurt you. But you can put your faith and trust in the living God, in the person of Jesus Christ, who will never disappoint and never fail. I don't get it. Help me to understand what is it about our relationships with our fellow man, our fellow family members, or our church members that makes us think that in this life disappointment will not come. The issue is, I will, the issue is not that I will disappoint you. It's that when I do disappoint and when you disappoint, how do we handle it? We need the living water. We need to have our hope and trust fixed on Christ. She says, give me this water. So I can, will not be thirsty or come to here to draw water. Jesus comes right to the point. This is why he's here. We would never do this because we won't pass him, you know, with you. See, we, we live in a culture in a world that we don't want to offend. And I know some of you disagree with me, but this is the truth. The gospel is offensive to the people in the world. Why? Because it goes against everything that they believe and want and know. They want to do their thing. God says, no, you do my thing. Jesus says to her, what does he tell her? Oh, by the way, go call your husband. Okay. Tell your husband, come here. Now, the woman answers him, I have no husband. Jesus, who knows all. Go back to John chapter 2, verse 25. Jesus says here, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's in you. He was in her. Go get your husband. Uh, I have no husband. She was correct. One on one way. She didn't realize who she was talking to. You answer rightly, Jesus tells her. You've had five. You're right. You don't have one. You had five. And by the way, the man you're with right now, he's not your husband. Kadump kadump. Pathump pathump. Just dropped the bomb right in her lap. Man, I know some of you can say, well, he's Jesus. He could do that. Sometimes the word of God just drops it just like it is. Just puts it right in your lap. And you ain't got no choice but to say, but before the grace of God, there am I. I wait in the balances and I find myself coming up wanting. The Bible, does, the Bible is very specific. The Bible is very plain. The Bible is not a mysterious book that you and I cannot understand. It's pretty instructive, and all you got to do is ask the Lord to reveal to you what the Word is saying. And he pretty much tells us what he wants from us. He tells us, you're right. You, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not, your ha- is not your husband. And what you have said is true. Now, here's what she does. Here's the devil. Ready? What you, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir! I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay. All right. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. He tells her, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're not. You've had five, and the one you're with right now is not. Your husband. Jewish law, Jewish, Jewish tradition was that they could have, you could have three. Anything over three, then you're really messed up. She went beyond three. She had five. Really, if you want to count the guy she's living with, that's six men she's had. And in in tra- Jewish tradition and Jewish culture is like, ah, 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 
yeah. You, that's why she got the reputation. That's why she's at this well by herself other than now here's Jesus. And here's Jesus talking to somebody that everybody else understood what they thought and what they perceived who she was. You know what I'm saying? You know how we are. Depending on where you're born or what side of town you live on and all the other things. People like to, we like to size up one another. Oh, I know her. That's what the people in the community were saying. Remember I told you the other week, the husbands of the women that were there in town? No, 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 man. No, no, brother. You don't talk to her. I don't need to see you standing over here talking to her, you and her talking, even though what they may have been saying is totally innocent. No, no, no. You stay. Little elbow shot there. You stay away from her because of her reputation. You understand that every one of us has a reputation? Every one of us. For good and for bad. People talk about you all the time. What? What? Talk about what have I done? You don't have to do anything. Just live. Just be alive. People are talking about you. And don't think everything they're talking about you is always nice and pleasant. The same people that smile in your face and do all this is also some of the ones that in behind closed doors taking the saber sword, sticking it in your side. You know, Judas, isn't it interesting that God, Jesus gave Judas the same power and authority that he gave the other 11? Judas was unsaved from the get-go. There was no, no saving grace. In Ju- Ju- Judas was not saved. He wasn't saved and fell off and, and sinned and de- deceived Jesus, uh, betrayed Jesus. Judas was never saved from the get. He was unsaved. And yet he was in amongst the 12. And yet he received from the 12 the same power and authority that the other 11 had. But in the end, he was not part of the true disciples. Now, you can take that for what you want and say, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? Go to 1 John and go to Jude. They who are in a, among us may not necessarily be part of us. The wheats and the tares, they grow up together. They look exactly alike. And Jesus says, but by the way, when you separate them, there is a separation. You're going to say, well, I thought that was a wheat. I thought that was wheat. No, man, that wasn't wheat. That was a tear. You will know them by their fruit. She goes off and says, by the way, you're a prophet. All because he tells her her life? I perceive, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I perceive you're a prophet of God. Why? Because I told you you had five husbands, five husbands and the man you're with now is not yours? That's why you believe? That's all it takes? Is that I told you who you were and now you believe I'm a prophet? Oh, we're very gullible people. I could pack this church out probably Next Sunday, if all of a sudden I start talking and claiming about redeeming power and grace and, th- and that if you drink this water, you take this, or if I pay a special blessing on you, and all of a sudden things start happening in your life and people are blessed and, this, and the word gets out, guess what? If you go to Cornerstone and Pastor McGee prays for you, guess what? I, I, I can tell you right now, the other day I had no money at all, and I went to my mailbox and, and Pastor McGee prayed for me and prayed that I might be receive a blessing, and I went to my mailbox, and in my mailbox was a check for $150,000. Place would be packed. Wouldn't it be an issue about money? I was watching something the other day, and I thought, how gullible, how stupid can people be? I was watching these, the, the, 
this thing on the YouTube, and the preachers had money, two, a couple, three of them. I had to, I, I was looking for one thing and came across this. I'm like, I don't want to see this. But I, I was watching, and they had money. Literally, the people, would, instead of giving your money and putting it in the box, they would drop it at the preacher's feet. And it's all over. I mean, I don't know how much money was there, but a lot of bills. And he's doing the Holy Ghost dance all through it. And, uh, I guess he would because after church, that was his money. I guess I would be dancing too if there was a $10,000 or $5,000 or $2,000 or a couple hundred dollars worth of ones, fives, tens, and twenties just scattered all in front of the pulpit. You know, I'm praising God. Well, yeah, that would be a reason too. And people do that, believing that that's the real deal. That's why I tell some, some of my preacher buddies, the guys that don't want to do it right make it that much more harder for the guys that do. I already have a hard time. Because people don't believe what I'm saying is true in the first place. Amen? I might as well say it, amen, because I know I'm right. People don't believe half the stuff I'm saying is right. Let alone the guys that are doing wrong, they make it that much more harder. Because people are very skeptical. He's in it for the money, believe me. <laughs> if, no. 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 And there's only a couple guys I know. Two, that I, myself and Reverend Latimer, I said, Doc, we're about the last of the Mohicans. That are in it for the, the fame, the fortune. There ain't no fame in this, but you know, are you kidding me? Ain't no fortune in this. My hair's getting grayer by the day. Amen? She missed the point. Water! Oh, because I told you what's who you are? Now you believe I'm a prophet? And by the way, our fathers worship here. Big deal. They were idolaters. The Samaritans were idolatrous people. They were a half-breed of Jewish and, 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 and uh, non-Jewish people who had converted, and they were mixed breeds, and they came. And at one time, they did serve God, but they only believed in the first five books. And then later on, they said, well, we took the first five, but we also bring in all the idolatry and all the things that came with those that were non-Jewish, and they mixed that all in with Jewish uh, Beliefs and stuff to which the Jews said, by the way, you people are messed up. We have nothing to do with you because you are an idolatrous nation. When Ezra came back and Nehemiah was coming back to build the wall, they said, hey, we'll build the wall. And the Jews said, no, thank you. To which is why they built Mount Gerizim and the temple that they built for themselves. Not because they were of God. They weren't of God at all. And this is the people to whom Christ is now standing for a woman, that who this is who she represents? Do you see the picture? That's us! The hour is coming when you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Not that every Jew would be saved, but salvation came from the Jews. What does that mean? Out of the Jewish nation came Jesus. And out of him comes our salvation. We are saved because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Yes, he was a Jew. Just in case some people don't remember and don't know, he was not white. He was not black. He was not Hispanic. He was not. He was a Jew by birth. And the Jews are God's chosen people. Somebody says, well, why the Jews? You need to ask God that question. 
Because of all the people that were born, all the races, all the creeds, all the nationalities God had to choose from, he, he didn't ask us, didn't put it up for vote. He chose the Jewish people to be his chosen people. And out of that comes the promise of the Savior. True worshipers, worshipers verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship him. God is spirit. You can't hold on God. You can't quantify God. God is spirit. Now, at times in his word, God uses human symbols like the hand of God. We have a hand, so when God says he lays his hands on us, we get the idea of what hands are. But God does not have a body, flesh, made up like ours. When he says we're made in his image, God does not have two legs, two arms, a head, and a body. No. Mind, will, intellect, all that is who we are made up of who God is. When it talks about the, the, God walks to and fro, it's not that God all of a sudden takes on legs and he's walking around to and fro. He doesn't have to walk to and fro. He sees all and knows all. It just gives us a better picture of who God is. When it says he walks to and fro, that means we get the idea that we know God is all everywhere, all present, no matter where we might be. He says God is spirit. God is love. God is, I mean, you can take, take a lot of different things of, of who God is. God is, is God love? Yes, he is. And then he says, by the way, just so you understand, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How are you going to know the truth if you don't know what it is? The only way to know the truth is to know the word. If you don't know the word, you don't know the truth. For all truth is God's truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Oh, okay, so I perceive you're a prophet. I understand. I'm beginning to get this. But you know what? They say that there's, there's one coming who is Messiah. I know that the Messiah is coming because of our traditions and what we've, what we've been taught. Yeah, yeah, I get it. There is one coming. She hasn't got it yet. She's still waiting for him to come. That's the problem with the Jewish nation right now. They're waiting for Jesus to come. But here's what happens here. He says, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, which means promised one. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Oh, yeah, I got it. There is one coming. Then when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're, we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. But here's what Jesus gets to the point. Jesus said to her, Ego in me, I who speak am he. I who speak to you am he. I am. You want the living water? Oh, you wait, you wait for Messiah? By the way, I am he. Oh, that's, that's heavy. People running all over, the world, all over the world trying to look for God. What are you looking for God for? He's already here. He manifests himself in different ways. Just show us where God is and I'll believe. Okay, go outside. There's God. In fact, Dwelling within you, even though you don't acknowledge who he is, God resides in every person that's ever born. 
We're created in his image. You have God in you. Now, whether you acknowledge it or whether you acknowledge or proclaim it or are willing to submit to it, that's a whole other issue. If you have submitted to him, then you know for yourself. I, could, I should be able to tell you that God is in you and be your response ought to be amen. Because you know for a fact that God dwells in you because of his Holy Spirit. If you, how many in here are saved? How many know you're saved? How many think you're saved? If you're saved and you know you're saved, the moment you profess Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? It's the third person of the Trinity. That's why I can say God is in you, because the third person of the Trinity resides in you as a believer. God is with you. God is in you. Jeremiah 2.13 says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You catch that? My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, so number one, they forsake, and number two, they dug a dig for themselves. They hewed out cisterns for themselves. They forsake them, and they did their own thing. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, wait a minute, you're a teacher of the Jews. You don't know these things? You're a master. You're, you're the Ph.D. You got an M.D. In, in theology, and you don't know this that's a Jeremiah? Dude, what's your problem? Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. The fountain of life. The light. You all learn about Jesus says, I am the what? Light of the world. Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you shall be put to death. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. Revelation twenty two seventeen, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the waters of life without price. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Ah, it's good to know God. With joy, not with sadness, not with sorrow, not with distractions, but with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He's got it. He is it. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. We have total access to God because he is the living water. If you're, are you thirsty today? Then all God wants you and I to do is to do what I'm getting ready to do right now. Drink of him who is the living water.
And if you haven't, that's not his fault. That's your fault. Because he wants the best life for you. He wants you to live the life that you deserve. But to live the life you deserve, you have to have it in Christ. The best life. We spend all of our time spinning our wheels trying to live life for ourselves and don't realize that full satisfaction comes in Jesus. Whatever you're lacking, he's able to give. And some of you know that firsthand. You just, don't, you just haven't submitted to it. You've done a lot of things. You're doing your own thing, and you're still not happy. What's the world searching for? Remember there was a song with the world means now is love. Love, sweet love. What the world needs now is Jesus. We've got Putin coming in this week. We had the Chinese in last week with all the terror and hacking attacks on our cyber, whatever they call it, cyber attacks. We've had the Pope coming in, riding in like a head of state. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not against the Pope. You know, he's a good, he's an all right man. I mean, he's a good man. He is. I don't want to take that away from him. But he's not God. And what he says does not come directly. The Catholic people believe that what he speaks is ex cathedra. That when he speaks, it's as if God himself is speaking. God has a direct line to him. He tells it, and then he tells the Catholic church. And I thought to myself, do you realize what the Reformation was fought for? Because the reformers went against what the Catholic church said. They said they were the final authority. You had to bow down to what the, quote, church said. And the reformers said, no, 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 no. We only acknowledge who Christ is. We want our own copy of Scripture. We want to be able to serve and teach and know God for ourselves. And men died, women died for the right for us to be able to walk into a place, to stand before a group of people and give to them the word of God and to have a copy of the scriptures for ourselves so that you know that whatever a man of God is preaching or teaching, you can look at it for yourself. People died for that reason. And we just take it so much for granted. We come to church or we don't come to church. We learn it, we don't want to learn. I don't need all that. Okay. You don't know half the stuff you think you know. Which is why I'm ending with a plug. If you are a member of this church, you need to be here on Wednesday night. If I can make it mandatory, I would, because it's just that important. Because a lot of times I think I'm preaching to the choir. There are those that come on a consistent basis that pretty much knows some of this. But there are many of you out there who don't know nothing about what it means to be, I am a member. Not a clue. You're missing out on a blessing. So I'm going to give you the challenge. You need to come. That's all I can do. Why would I say that? Because knowing who you are and what you are solves so many problems in your life. Amen? A conversation at the well. Part two. We'll finish it up next week. Father, thank you for your word. Bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen.